I always thought you're good, but you're not good enough. That was a belief that really impacted the results I had in life. No matter where you are at in life, even if you say, I'm actually doing quite, quite well and everything is fine, there's probably the result in life that we would like to have. A partner, a job that we really love, finding my own purpose, being less fearful. In order to be able to change something in your life, you need to do the self-work. So we learn quite early on that self-worth is dependent on the confirmation and recognition that we get from other people. You always have to keep in mind that mental health is a journey. Hey everyone and welcome to a new episode of Growth Essentials, the place where we sit down and discover how you can actually become a better version of yourself in your 20s. Today it's all about mental health, a very important topic that I discussed with Kim. And Kim is a study psychologist and a few years ago she has even decided to found her own company to change the status quo and really provide more mental health resources, especially across the workforce in our society. I had a lovely conversation with her about many different topics around mental well-being, like how you can overcome negative thoughts, how you can stop comparing yourself, the different types of social interaction and why you should really start your mental health journey even if it's a little step forward. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did with her. I would say let's go, let's get started. I'm Melina and this is Growth Essentials, the podcast for your best self on things you wish you learned in school. Kim, for the first part, I know that you made an experience with going to therapy quite early in life. So maybe you can let us in a bit on that experience and how this has impacted your life later on. Maybe to start with a initial difference. Um, I didn't start with therapy, but with a coaching. Um, and just to, to make that clear here, because a lot of people also would ask, what is the difference? And I can also elaborate on that a bit later. But um, yes, I had my first experience, my first touch points with, so to say, psychological interventions, psychological knowledge and coaching when I was 15 years old already. Back then, that was due to a little family crisis, and I actually got the opportunity to participate in a coaching workshop that went a whole weekend. I was 15 years old. I didn't know what to expect at all. And I remember I was coming out of this workshop, and I was wondering and so pressed so much that this is not knowledge that we learn in school already. Because I learned a lot about myself. I learned how childhood experiences would impact my belief systems that I have nowadays. I also learned how to manage my own emotions. I learned that there is a correlation between our thoughts and our emotions and that we can actually take responsibility and steer them ourselves. There were just a few things that I learned, but it had a huge impact on my life. Um, so I would say especially on my own self-esteem of the understanding of myself and from there onwards I was really rather taking I would say the driver's seat of my own life. I was setting goals for my life and I really went into the direction I wanted and um, that experience made me want to study psychology because back then I thought I want to give as many people as possible the experience that I had and so I studied psychology and on that way I also educated as a coach myself and started also working as a coach besides my masters and then I realized one more time 
that the demand uh, for psychological support and also the lack of psychological knowledge within our society is still so huge that I decided at some point to found my own company around that because I knew as a single coach I wouldn't be able to really change the status quo. So I decided to yeah, do it at bigger scale, so to say, and found a company and then hopefully really impact the status quo and change it to the better. So when we go back in time a bit again, um, a little more into your early days, um, would you say there was ever um, a belief that you created within your childhood that has then also impacted your adult life along the way? Yes, I think there were a few beliefs, uh, beliefs that I developed early on, as most of us actually do. Um, but I, I think I can name one or two of those. So, for example, especially when I was at school, I somehow had the belief that I was just not good enough to be the best one in class, for example. I just thought for some reason that I wouldn't be able to get the best marks, the best grades. I always thought, yeah, other people are always a bit better. You're good, but you're not good enough. And that was a belief that really impacted the results I had in life. And when I realized that I was having that belief, that I was telling myself this story on again and again, I started to change it. Because in that coaching back then, I learned, hey, your belief systems are impacting your results in life. And when you start rethinking your beliefs and redefining them, you can also change the results. I mean, I was 15 years old and then that age you're usually a bit more open-minded a bit more open to to what other people tell you tell you um so i just thought let's try it out i just tried out to believe that i can be actually better than that and that had directly an impact on my grades at school on the further development that i made and actually i experienced being the best in class um, and so that was a measurable result that directly um, developed from, from that coaching experience. But of course, this is also something that I took with me into my adult life to really realizing I can be aware of my beliefs and I can also redefine them. I can change them. And with that, I can also change my results. What are you actually like um, precisely doing if you um, still have that? Because sometimes I imagine you still like um, find yourself having that belief of, hey, I'm not good enough. And then you catch yourself. So what do you then afterwards do to trick your mind and say, hey, I'm actually good enough and I can do this. I'm capable. That's a very good question because there are, of course, different pathways to, to catch that belief and then also work on it. So first of all, the first step is always to realize it. And that's always already quite a big step because most of us are having those beliefs quite unconsciously. And the first step would be to realize it. For that, for example, what helped me personally a lot was starting to meditate because the moment we start meditating, we actually train to have check-ins with ourselves. We start training to listen to ourselves better. And this is the first step because then I start listening and I realize, wait, did I really just think that? And this is, this is the break or the little realization you need in order to move on from there on. And when I real, realize I have this thought right now of not being good enough, I start actually challenging myself. So I start asking myself, why do you think that? Where does it come from? Who do you think is better in that? Are there any facts around you that make you believe you're not good enough? So I'm really trying to challenge myself with questions 
and taking on different perspectives. For example, is there anyone else that is better or is there anyone else who's maybe not better in that? And then at some point you start realizing that this is a story you're telling yourself without actually having any proof for that, because most of the time we don't really have proof. And then I start looking for proof for the exact opposite. So I'm wondering, okay, maybe I'm good enough. Are there any reasons or any facts out there that could prove that I'm good enough? And also changing already this perspective and looking for different confirming information from the opposite standpoint actually helps already to, um, yeah, to get out of the spiral, so to say, and change your inner belief. That's so powerful, like changing the perspective and kind of almost stepping out of yourself and just seeing yourself maybe as a different person. I always also like to do that in a sense of, you know, if I'm, if I'm, for example, imagining that this would be like a close friend of mine and I would never want them to tell themselves that, right? So sometimes that's also something I do when I face those beliefs, which we all do and that's okay. But I think just what you described of actually being aware that you are thinking that right now and then, yeah, what you described, super valuable. Um, Kim, after um, you then decided to study psychology, I know that you also for a short period of time went into consultancy afterwards, right? Which is also not the like typical profession, so to say, um, after you studied psychology, right? So why did actually you decide back then to do so and not become like a traditional therapist, so to say? So first of all, the, the decision to not become a traditional therapist was quite early on. I decided that already within my bachelor's. I studied um, psychology within my bachelor. I also went into the clinical psychology and realized quite early on that the psychotherapy way is not my way because I really wanted to focus on people who are still in a very stable um, part of their lives who are not showing any pathological symptoms because I strongly believe that if we work on ourselves before we are in a crisis, yeah, we are way more stable and we are way more better to actually manage through those times. So that is just the, the answer to the, the last part. But I still thought maybe I would become a coach. Um, and then during my master's, I realized, as I mentioned in the beginning, that with becoming a single coach, I wouldn't be able to change the status quo. And that was really what was motivating my, me personally to change the status quo, not only for a thousand people a year, but within our society. And then I started thinking about what could be another step. I actually knew back then that I wanted to found a company in that area, in the area of mental health. However, when I finished my studies, I wasn't yet sure how to do it. So I think this is also something that a lot of people who want to found a company are facing. You feel like there are so many um, you, in German, you would see, uh, you would say, there are so many trees that you cannot see the the um, the forest, and this is really an experience I had myself. So I didn't know where to start, how to start, with which idea, with which team. Um, so I decided, for me personally, that I wanted to go into consultancy and just gather a bit of understanding, a bit more of understanding of the so to say business world. Also, being a psychologist myself, I wanted to to learn a bit more business skills because. I thought they would be super necessary to found, found a company. And um, yeah, I would, I would never regret that. I would always do it again because for me it was helpful. But I think what this experience brought me the most 
it wasn't about being able to to do excel sheets or calculations or those so-called business skills it was it was really rather about boosting my own self-confidence understanding okay this is how this market functions this is how companies work and also realizing Yes, it is sometimes a big deal, but it's also not such a big deal that you wouldn't be capable of doing that. Um, and that was for me the, the biggest realization. And this is also why I would always do it again, because I needed that to take the step to become a founder. So right now, you're helping a lot of other people, right? Um, get a better, better understanding of their mental health and better understanding also of themselves. Um, and I imagine... Right now, you're a founder, you're the CEO, you have a lot of things on your plate, a lot of other people to take care of. So what is something that you are struggling with? In general, there's not this one thing that you could name. Um, also, this is a very important um, piece of information that I would love to share. You always have to keep in mind that mental health is a journey that actually probably never ends. That doesn't mean that you cannot arrive at a healthy and thriving state. But with every year, there's another challenge that you're facing. And this is the same with the struggles you're facing. It could be that right now I'm struggling with um, really retaining my own work-life balance, but maybe in six months from now, it's something completely different. And I think that's also very important to understand that you that there will never be a moment when you say, and now I'm perfect, like we will never arrive at that state. It's rather like, I would say, the curve is always going up, but in this increase, in this way up, you still have, of course, some ups and downs, yeah? But you just get better on the way with dealing um, with those downs also. Um, I think right now, um, for me personally, a big, bigger struggle is really to, to try to keep everything in my own life together, like really balancing out my work life, being there for the team all the time, being able to deliver on everything um, that I want to deliver on in the different departments I'm working for. Um, but at the same time, of course, also being there for my friends and family. Yeah? And I think that this is, of course, nothing new because probably a lot of founders could echo that. Um, but I think this is something where we also have to grow into because that's also for me new. I'm two years now a founder and um, this is still something I'm trying to figure out for myself how to manage it in the best way. And um, it comes a lot with prioritization. So this is something I've already learned within the last two years to really uh, set priorities and at the same time learn to set boundaries. This is also very important on the way and definitely I am learning I have gathered in the last two years already. What's, what would you say is your favorite thing or, or, or the most important thing for you to take care of yourself also, when you are facing very busy and exhausting times. And so there's definitely one part that I actually never skip. And for me, that's, that is sports. Uh, so I always do my own like fitness workouts. And that is really for me something I never, never, never skip, if not really, really necessary. So maybe in 2% of the cases, I would skip it for something very important. But I realized after after some time that sports for me personally being active is something that helps me to release stress a lot 
And I can also really recommend it because even science has proven that um, getting active, physical activity, helps to create a mindset shift. So when you're feeling you're in a specific emotion, for example, stress or even sadness or anger, and you feel like you cannot turn it around, get active. You will notice that you will have a shift in your emotions. It's super powerful. And maybe if you're not the biggest fan of sports, you can find a different way of getting active, right? Um, going for a walk, I don't know, dancing to music in your room, whatever feels good for you. <laughs> if we go a bit deeper into the entire topic of mental health, um, like especially during the last years, we are seeing a huge shift on the numbers of like depression and burnout also in the, the, in the work environment scene, right? And I think in Germany alone, it's like the second biggest reason for sick notes, which is crazy. Um, why do you think we are seeing these numbers now? So I think there, there are two, two main reasons um, of which only one is yet scientifically, scientifically validated. And the one that's validated already is that there are studies that has that have shown that more and more people actually open up about it. So one huge change to like 20 years ago is not that we become so much weaker right now than 20 years ago, but that people actually talk about it. And 20 years ago, it was so stigmatized that people wouldn't ask for support. They would rather say I'm sick and never show up again, but they wouldn't even ask for support um, and help and wouldn't talk about it. So that is definitely one of the factors why we see more and more burnout rates and depression rates, because people actually ask for support and talk about it. And that's on the one side a good good sign, because that shows that we're decreasing, decreasing the stigma. On the other hand, it's of course shocking, because we actually see how many cases there are. Um, and the second reason probably is the pandemic. So of course the pandemic has some after effects on all of us. Yeah. And these after effects we cannot really estimate yet. So probably in five to seven years we can actually see what the pandemic has done to us um, because it's always difficult to see it right in the moment. But being isolated for such a long time, feeling more um, alone and also anonymous and distance from social interaction is definitely having an impact on our mental well-being. Um, I also see a lot that, in my opinion, a lot of people underestimate the impact of social support and social interactions, especially when we had the discussions to go back into the offices and so forth. In the beginning, no one wanted to come back. And I was completely surprised because I was like, is no one else feeling that isolated as me why don't they want to come back because the social interaction is giving our psyche so much so so much release and support to deal with stressful times and i think a lot of people are still underestimating it and um, i'm happy to see at least within our company for example more and more people are coming to the office because naturally they realize i want to be with people because It just feels good, yeah. And I think this is something where we will see the after effects from or are seeing right now. What can we do to challenge ourselves and maybe become more social also after the pandemic? But also I think there, there are people that it, it, it's, like, it's like more natural for and there are people who have a harder time being social with others. What's, what's your advice maybe on that to challenge yourself and be more social with people? 
I think it's important to understand what is actually behind the social interaction. So why why is social interaction good for us? Because most of the time when we have social interaction, we first of all create a feeling of belongingness. And this is, for example, something that is very important for every human being. Yeah, that's really like a, a need that all of us have. And here we could ask ourselves, how can I feel belongingness? Do I feel it in bigger crowds and groups of people going out for dinners and parties and whatsoever? Or do I feel it when I have one or two close friendships? Yeah. Or do I feel it when I belong to a certain community, maybe I have a yoga community or whatever, where I feel I belong to and which gives me a lot of energy. I think um, one should take this step and really define for themselves, what do I get out of social interaction and how can I create it? Um, and of course, then also from social interaction come, come um, deeper relationships and relationships is also one of the predictors for mental well-being. So the deeper and better our relationships are with people, the better we feel. And also here, for some people, it might be that they have 10 strong relationships with people, but for some, it's just two. And one advice I would also love to share here, because I, I heard that advice when I was 15 years old from my coach um, back then. She said, um, usually we we think we have to have many, many friends. But what she said is actually, actually you should have have two or three very very close friends and it's good if one of you if one of those three people is maybe your partner and the other two are your friends and for me that was also quite mind shifting and changing because i was always thinking i need a lot of friends but um that gave me actually the understanding no that's not true i actually need a few good friends i really have deep conversations and relationships with and this is giving me already a lot of energy How would you actually define a good friend? That's a very <laughs> funny question, but <laughs> I'm interested. Yeah, um, definitely for me, a good friend means that I can totally be myself. And that doesn't mean that we won't have arguments and that we won't find compromises of how we interact with each other and how we can live um, besides each other. But it, it actually means for me personally that my friend is always appreciating me no matter what I do and is non-judgmental. And if she or he is angry about something, then this friend should, should look for an open communication. Then we discuss it, we work it through without judgment, but really with, still with a lot of appreciation and respect. And that is for me personally one of the yeah, main uh, aspects and attributes of a good friendship. You already spoke uh, at the beginning of your experience with meditation, right? And you said it helps you to be more conscious about your mental health state, so to say. What other things do you think can we do to become more conscious and be better listeners for ourselves to even um, spot dangerous behavior or dangerous thoughts? Um, is there something else that maybe comes to your mind? Sometimes we have this blind spot when it comes to ourselves and we cannot reflect everything about ourselves because we will always have a blind spot. You have to imagine it like this. We always wear a glass, it's glasses, and those glasses are predefined by our childhood experiences, by our belief systems. And when we are now trying to look at ourselves, we are always looking at ourselves through these glasses. 
we are not really capable of taking them off yeah because they are part of us they are kind of defined through all of our experiences and this is when a coach or a therapist comes into play because they can ask objectively questions that we wouldn't ever ask ourselves and they can help us taking taking on an objective standpoint and help us um, gather realizations that we wouldn't if we would just reflect ourselves. Let's imagine someone who does not have access to these people, right? Because, um, well, like at least for therapy, it's always also hard to, to get a spot and with coaches, you usually need to also pay them. I mean, you can do the same with therapy as well, right? But my question to you is like, is there something that the individual can do to reflect themselves in a better way when they don't have access to coaching or therapy? For example, there are some exercises in cognitive behavioral therapy like journaling, yeah, where people start writing journals about their emotions, an emotional journal, so to say, or an emotional diary that you're that you're um, writing for weeks and where you start seeing patterns, for example. So imagine you come down in the you come home in the evening and you start writing down, how was my day? What were the emotions I was feel I, I felt? Um, what happened before that? And if you do this every, every day again, at some point you will start realizing patterns and you will notice, ah, when a person says this to me, Or when I am driving my car and um, there is a lot of traffic, I easily get annoyed. So you start understanding patterns and then you can do the next step and go a bit deeper and ask yourself, where is it coming from? So what is, and then also asking yourself, why do I experience um, anger? Why do I experience fear? Where does it come from? What am I, what am I scared of, for example? Maybe you can break down really shortly again why is it worth it to do something like that why do you think so oh yeah i can definitely do that there's so huge value in it that i would say to everyone do it there's actually not an, another option to not do it because <laughs> it will change your life to the better and i really mean it so when you are no matter where you are at in life even if you say I'm actually doing quite quite well and everything is fine. There's probably for all of us a result in life that we would like to have. Be it a partner, be it a job that we really love, finding my own purpose, um, being less fearful, whatever it is. We all have those wishes within us um, that we sometimes silently think about. And to in order to be able to reach those new results in life, to change something in your life, you need to do the self-work because the state you are at right now in your life, the results always mirror your belief systems. They always mirror what you are right now thinking you are capable of doing, what you, what you, uh, what you are maybe also unconsciously allowing yourself to have. So it could be, for example, that there is a belief within you that says, I'm just not worth it to have a great partner, to have a loving relationship. And if this belief system is unconsciously um, working within you without you knowing, then it's super, super difficult to change this result in life. And only when you start taking a look at it, when you start realizing what is steering you unconsciously, you're able to really have different results in lives. 
And as I said, I believe all of us have secret wishes and all of us have areas in life where we would love to see a change. And if you're really curious about it, if you're really keen on changing something, you need to do the self-work. Could you maybe break down for us like maybe like three questions that we, you know, if someone wants to start their journal journaling, for example, like what are three questions? I mean, you mentioned some I, I know already, but maybe you can break down like your three top ones that we could ask ourselves every night and start our journaling habit. Mm -hmm. um, so. One one question I always ask myself um, is what was my biggest success within the 24 hours, within the last 24 hours? Because um, one underlying reason for most of us is that we are not that good in being really in true self-love. And most of the time we focus a lot on all the negative things that are happening. And with this simple question, we start focusing on the positive things and we start increasing our perceived self-efficacy because we will realize, wow, there are so many successes that I actually have in my life that I never really consciously uh, saw and realized. So this is a really good question. So you can start asking yourself to really practice positivity, optimism, and self-love and self-efficacy. And then another point is to ask yourself, what were realizations I had throughout the day? So is, was there anything that I learned today? Was there anything new that I just want to write down? Anything that comes to your mind can be very helpful in order for you to understand that there were maybe moments that triggered you, yeah? that there were maybe happenings, events, interactions with people that did something to you. And then you can also ask yourself the question, how did I feel in those situations? What, with which feelings and emotions were those realizations and those moments connected? To start really understanding, connecting your, let's say, cognitive level with your emotional level and also seeing the correlation between certain events and emotions. And another thing that I love to do and write down daily is really to ask myself, what am I grateful for? Because also gratitude is a very simple technique and method you can use to increase your positivity and your understanding that there's already a lot in your life that you can be really grateful for. Because you were like talking a bit about the topic of like self-love and I think that also comes um, goes into the direction of, of self-worth, right? And we do live in a very yeah hustle-driven culture, I would say. Um, and um, we are facing through that, I think, easy comparison with, with others um, in terms of like productivity and that that does something with our self-worth. What do you think is, is, is happening um, with us um, in that culture, so to say? So I think not just right now, but actually probably since more than 100 of 100 years ago, um, us human beings learned, learn in the early years when, when we come to this planet and when we grow up we learn that any confirmation and recognition that we get comes from external yeah, comes from the external world so we learn quite early on that 
self-worth is dependent on the confirmation and recognition that we get from other people. Because our parents are happy when we do something right and they get angry when we do something wrong. And then we realize, okay, I want more of this happy reaction. Yeah? <laughs> I want to be loved. I want to be, I want to be liked by my parents. But then we also, of course, start to be wanted to be liked by other people. And we totally forget that self-worth and the feeling of I am, I am loved, I'm worthy. I'm someone who's self-efficacy, who has self-efficacy, who's capable of doing things, is nothing that we can produce within ourselves. This is what we learn. And I think this is the first um, logic that we need to break up because we can give ourselves the feeling. And of course, in the world we are living right now, where we have a lot of social comparison through LinkedIn, through Instagram and so forth, it gets even tougher because usually it's, first of all, it's super normal and natural that human beings compare themselves to others. But in the normal world, so when we go out of the door, we can compare ourselves to people who are a bit further than us. So we can do the upward comparison, which makes us feel that we still have to achieve something. Yeah, And sometimes it can be also very motivating. Sometimes it can be frustrating. Um, but we also have the downward comparison because we also have interactions, events, happenings, whatever, that show us, hey, where I am is already quite good. And this, of course, gives us a good feeling of, I achieved already something. But since we're living most of the time rather in the digital social media world, we only can most of the time can only do the upward comparison because the people on Instagram and LinkedIn mostly share their brightest moments, their successes, how great the, their lives are, what they just achieved, what they just did and how fun this was and so forth. So we... <laughs> We unfortunately have a lot of upward comparisons and this can happen or lead to us feeling like we haven't achieved anything yet and the lives of everyone else around us is better. And that's, of course, very um, yeah, dangerous because that can decrease the self-worth, that can decrease the feeling of having achieved something we can be proud of. And um, we need to be very, very aware of this. Um, and I think some... Te techniques or tips you could do in order to decrease this a bit is first of all becoming aware of it so reminding yourself hey social media just shows me the best moments of other people and this is only upward comparison you can use it as motivation but don't use it for being frustrated and then also start um, reducing this whole comparison more and more and start asking yourself what do I actually want in my life Instead of comparing your life to others, what do you want in your life? And here again, checking in with yourself because all the answers are within us and we can also create this feeling of feeling loved, of feeling proud within ourselves. And for that, we need to understand ourselves. We need to check in with us. We need to define our own goals. We need to define what makes us happy. Yeah, doing the journal to understand it really. And um, that can help in this Yeah, very... Um, comparison-oriented world that we live in. And this is one aspect, but the other is definitely to also understand that your self-worth is anyways there, no matter what. So the moment someone enters this world as a little baby, 
this person, this baby has already self-worth. This, this might sound a bit, I don't know, cliche or just simple, but in the end, who's defining worth? So also understanding what does worth actually mean? What is the definition of it? And also they're taking again another perspective. This is also something a coach would ask, for example. Yeah. So if you, Alina, would ask me now, yeah, but, but Kim, I don't feel so worthy. What can I do about it? Then I would ask you the question, Alina, what does worth mean for you? How do you define worth? And then we would go deeper into that and we would start to understand what's your definition of being worthy. And probably at some point we would re realize that maybe your definition of being worthy is somehow biased to what society is telling us what's, what being worthy is or what Instagram is telling us what being worthy is. And then I would ask you more and more questions and hopefully get you to a point where you realize hmm, the logic, the calculation I made in my head of XYZ is what I need to be worthy is maybe not even logical. And it's maybe not even valid. Yeah. So also there again, checking in and understanding what is my definition of self-worth? Is that, is that even logical? Yeah. I have just one more aspect because I was just thinking about a tangible tool that you can use. You can actually practice self-worth quite easily when you just stand in front of the mirror and tell yourself, I am worthy. Tell yourself, I love myself. You can even use your own name and it will feel weird in the beginning, <laughs> but I tested it myself. I experimented with it because I wanted to know whether it really has any impact. I did it for four weeks every day and it was incredible. I was so much more balanced within myself. I was so much more also talking to myself with more um, yeah, appreciation. And in a loving way, it was really incredible because what we see already also in science, our emotions follow our thoughts. So if in order to change an emotion, you can start changing your thoughts and the words you speak and the emotion will follow. How do you think actually we can go about that? Um, so we, we think in a very, let's say we're in a situation right now where we're not thinking in a very self-compassionate way about ourselves. What's a technique to break up that thought cycle to then change the emotion that comes afterwards? So what you can do in those moments, first of all, you need to realize it, otherwise it won't work. Um, and when you realize it, you can, for example, take a step back hold on and really close your eyes, for example, and take a few deep breaths and really focus on the moment. Yeah, Breathe in, breathe out. To just, first of all, have like a change in what is going on in your mind and to interrupt it, Yeah, to let a break or a pause develop between your thoughts. And this is, this is a very easy technique in order to calm down a little bit. And the moment you interrupt this thought process, already something within your emotions will change. And then you have another standpoint from which you can start logically thinking about where does it actually come from. This is one way, yeah, but there are of course other ways. You can also, I don't know, write something down on a mirror or a wall or a door that you're always walking by that reminds you, for example, this is also a way. Or you start wearing your watch for a week on the other arm because you will notice it every second <laughs> that it's on the other arm and you can take it or keep it as a reminder 
to check in with yourself if you're right now in a spiral. So really trying to make tangible um, differences within your daily life that you notice and then will function as a reminder. Because we already also talked about the comparison we go through, right, especially like through social media and stuff, um, this like can also be followed by something that we can we call imposter syndrome so that we right think of okay like what i'm doing i'm not worthy to do i'm not good enough um how do you think we can actually acknowledge better the things that already work and that we deserve so to say to get a deeper appreciation for what we are doing right in life Mm -hmm. Yeah, as I mentioned, we all unfortunately underlie the negativity bias, which is a bias that says that we tend to focus on the negative information instead of the positive information. And psychologists, you say that for one negative information, your brain needs five positive information in order to compensate for it. That's already huge. <laughs> so you can imagine it's definitely a training. And as I said, you can start training asking yourself questions like what were my successes in the last 24 hours what am i grateful for with that you will start training your brain focusing more and more on positive information and this is really important to say unfortunately this whole thing about mental well-being is really a bit of work to do you can compare it to physical fitness if you want a change here if you want to feel better in in on a continuous base, yeah, you need to train your brain. You need to train it just like you would train a muscle and that requires daily work and those exercises that I described. Um, in terms of the imposter syndrome, I think also here um, I can recommend to sometimes do the change of perspectives. So if you're wondering, okay, I'm just not good enough in it, someone else will be better, try to take on another an opposite standpoint and ask yourself okay who would be actually doing it better why would they do it better is there really someone who would do it better for example or also asking yourself why am i not good enough for it about it yeah and then really trying to understand that and try to change the perspective and and then really try to think it until the end force yourself to think it until the end okay Let's imagine, <laughs> let's imagine it happens. Everyone will find out you weren't not good enough. You didn't do the last X, Y, Z. You didn't look for the details, whatever it is. Um, and then ask yourself, what would happen? What would be happening in that worst case? And then again, when you say, yeah, then everyone, I don't know, would, would think I'm not worth it. Maybe someone would think I'm not capable of doing my job. And then what would happen next? And at some point you arrive at the worst, worst, worst case scenario and you will realize even if this happens, I'm still alive. I'm still alive. And I would always find another way to get up again. Yeah? I think that's, that's also maybe a good exercise <laughs> to do. One more thing I wanted to ask you because I um, uh, read one of your posts and that said, um, so you were reflecting about your lowest lows and your highest highs, I think, over the course of one year. Uh, and I uh, wanted to ask, like, what, uh, what exactly did you do in that process? And 
in what way did it help you to reflect on your year or yeah the experience that you made yeah yeah that's that's a very beautiful exercise um that, that can also help if you're right now for example maybe in a challenging situation of your life i can really recommend to do that exercise and the exercise is called the lifeline so you can even find it if you google it because it's used often in psychology and therapy and coaching and the lifeline is a line where you um, sign into a graph your highs and your lows in life you can start wherever you want i would recommend to do it for your whole life really starting with the first event that you remember and then really sign into this graph you can also go from zero to five how much of a high was it was it a three a four a five a two and then also from zero to minus five where you say this was a minus five or this was a minus three and then you really first of all collect all the events that you remember and sign it into this graph and when you then take another look at your lifeline you will realize one thing for very very sure that Every time you had a low, afterwards a high also arrived again. And of course, after a high, also sometimes a low arrived again. But what is a really great realization in the first place is that after each low, another high comes as well. And the second part, which is why it is a very powerful exercise, is that you realize hey, in those moments when you remember back into that situation, in those moments where you felt like it can't, it can't get any better, I'm struggling, I'm frustrated, I'm super unhappy, I'm sad or whatever, you made it through. So also realizing how many lows you already managed and you already worked through is a very important part. And the last part that you can really do um, is going even a level deeper and writing down in those highs and in those lows, what were the actions or even values that were helping you through those moments? For example, maybe you would realize that talking to friends or um, being with your, in your, within your social support system was something that was that is functioning as a pattern and helped you through all your all your lows within your life. So at some point you see what are the action points, what are the values that helped me a lot already in past lows that I experienced, and you can now use them again when you're experiencing a low. So you can actually get smarter because you understand when this helped me already five times in the past, maybe it will help me this time again. And also the other way around, understanding what actually were my values or what did I do when I experienced the highs. Because with that, you can also focus again on your strength and realize, wow, every time I did this, I experienced a super high. So maybe I should do more of that. And that's also a very interesting exercise. And, and last but not least, do it with your friends because it's very powerful to share it and um, to collect those realizations together and to also see that all of us are going through lows and experience highs afterwards. For the end, I still have some quick fire questions for you, Kim. So I just read them to you and you give me your first thought as an answer, okay? All right, <laughs> let's start. What's your favorite thing to do when you feel stressed or overwhelmed? Hmm. My favorite thing to do when I feel stressed or overwhelmed, overwhelmed is um, really to sit down 
and to listen to a so-called power talk. I love power talks. Um, I'm listening to especially, especially power talks from Laura Malina Seiler. Maybe some of you have heard of her. And those power talks are like five to 10 minutes long and they really boost me and they help me to focus and concentrate on me in that moment. And they give me so much energy and they help me shift my mindset in that minute that I yeah, use them quite, quite often and frequently. If you would have to tell me only one thing what should everybody try in order to improve their mental health mm -hmm. let me think the first thing that came to my mind was the exercise of standing in front of the mirror so i would really love all of you to try it out stand in front of the mirror even if it might feel weird and start telling yourself that you're worthy and that you are loved and that you love yourself Try it at least for two weeks and um, in best case, let me know how it worked for you. <laughs> It's powerful in my opinion. If you could tell your past self one thing, what would it be? Trust your intuition. Um, I think that's something I especially learned within the last two years. It's really very, learned very, very deeply and um, it's is very powerful in my opinion so i was never really trusting my intuition because i was always trying to um, solve everything with logic and with analysis and taking into account all facts that i could find um, and i was at some point i was even ignoring my intuition very often in my life um, and this is something i learned a lot within the last two years especially as being a founder and an entrepreneur And I would have never thought that my intuition is almost every time right. Um, this is something I, I learned. And it also comes with really checking in with yourself. So the work I think I needed to do for that was also checking in with my emotions and learning to really recognize them. I think that's a powerful statement to end this podcast episode. Kim, thank you so much for taking the time and chatting not only with me, but also spreading your knowledge uh, among lots of other young people. And I really yeah, appreciated the conversation we had together um, and thought, you know, it was really valuable and things that everybody can at least try and then, you know, make their mixture out of, of, out of it, whatever works for the individual. Yeah, so thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you, Alina, for this great session and also for all your great answers. Uh, you really, uh, you really forced me to to bring a lot of examples and techniques and tools into it, and I think that's exactly the way to go. So I really hope that some people can take value out of it. And um, thanks again, Alina, for inviting me. Thank you so much for being on here, Kim. Mm -hmm.